Good morning, everyone. James asked me how long I would be speaking this morning, and I said five or six hours. And he said, oh, so a short one then. <laughs> Hopefully, I'll keep it timely. Um, yeah, let's, let's pray before again before we start. Father, I pray that you would anoint this word and... Um, I would disappear in your, your word and your love and your great goodness would overtake us. We love you so much, Lord. It's such a privilege to be together, to walk through this life together, to face the ups and the downs together, and um, we do cling to you, Lord. We cling to you, and we give you praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, two weeks ago, Bill preached on hope in 2024. And then last week, he preached on the stupid things we do. So it seemed like it was going downhill. So I thought I better go back to two weeks ago. Anyway, I, I do want to speak in the same vein uh, about hope from a little different angle. A few things Bill said that um, really stuck with me is that 2023 was a rough year, um, not just for us individually and as a body, but uh, for many, many people around the world. I'm sure, like, like me, you know of situations in other believers' lives that are friends of yours that are going through really difficult times. Um, he said that God is our foundation of hope. Did you catch that two weeks ago? God is our foundation of hope. And his prayer was that we would, be, that we would strengthen our grip on hope. So today I want to continue in the same vein and speak on the biblical gift of lament and how it is the language of hope. Uh, the last several months I've been becoming aware of the gift of lament in the Bible. It's a subject that isn't talked much about in evangelical church circles. Nevertheless, lament, uh, specifically biblical lament, is there, and it's a theme in the Bible, and I would call it a grace gift that God has given us to help us survive and grow in the deepest, darkest times of our lives. The popular there's a popular Christian slogan these days that God won't give you anything that you can't handle. Um, I think that's a bunch of hooey. Uh, in fact, the word that came to mind as I was preparing the sermon was poppycock. That's poppycock. And I thought, I'm going to look that word up and see what that means. It means, um, it's from du the Dutch language, and it means soft dung. So, so it's as if you stepped in it, you know. Uh, so that saying that God won't give us anything we can't handle, I think, is, is one of those popular sayings that's uh, sweet and supposed to be encouraging, but just not accurate. I think God, periodically in our lives, allows things to happen 
that go way beyond our own strength to handle. And so we are forced to lean into him. Bill, could I grab that water? We're forced to lean into him. And it's in these times, the hardest times in our lives, that we can look and draw upon the gift of lament. I'm going to be uh, referencing a book today uh, quite heavily, drawing from this book quite heavily, called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy by Mark Vrogop. Have any of you uh, been familiar with this book or seen this book? It's an excellent, excellent book that I wholeheartedly recommend. His story of lament was uh, began in 2004. He, uh, he was a young pastor. Um, he had three small boys, and his wife was three days away from giving birth to uh, their, uh, what would be their first baby girl. And she woke him up in the middle of the night because the baby was still inside her, and she was worried that the baby had passed away inside her. And uh, sure enough, the next day, they went to the doctor, and he did an ultrasound and couldn't find a heartbeat and gave them the sad news that, that the baby was not alive. And of course, then she went through the difficult process of delivering, going through labor, and uh, Pastor Vrogop talks about how he held his little girl who looked so beautiful but she wasn't alive and how a pain pierced his heart that he couldn't even comprehend or find words for. I'll read just a touch of what he says. He said, pain and fear mingled together in a jumbled torrent of emotion. Thoughts about the future raced through my mind. Questions haunted me. How would my boys respond to this level of sadness? Would my wife ever be happy again? What if we never conceived another child? How could I live with this pain while feeling the need to have it all together as I pastor to church? Would our marriage make it? So many questions, so much fear. And he goes on to say, following Sylvia's death, that's the child, I poured out my heart to the Lord with desperate candor. I fought the temptation to be angry with God. I wrestled with sadness that bored a hole in my chest. In the midst of my pain, however, I began to find words and phrases in the Bible that captured the emotions of my heart. Some left off the pa leapt off the pages. The Bible gave voice to my pain. Particular psalms became my own, and a years-long journey began. In that process, I discovered a minor key language for my suffering called lament. Winston Churchill said famously, if you're going through hell, keep going. Biblical lament is a pathway that God has given us to keep going uh, and to cling to the Lord in our most anguishing trials. Have I piqued your interest? So let's take a look at this together uh, with this caveat. Um, we're going to look 
we're going to discover that in the Bible there is a structure to lament. But I don't mean to imply that grieving is a formula. Uh, we all know that life is messy, grieving is messy. So even though I'm presenting a structure that I think is there in Scripture, um, uh, please don't hear me uh, advocating in that dry sense of formula. Okay, so here we go. What is lament? Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to renewed trust. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to renewed trust. It means to bemoan or to bewail, even cry out. Again, it's prayers in pain that lead to renewed trust. We will see that lament in the Bible has four uh, uh, stages or steps, four parts. The first is an address to God. Our laments are meant to be expressed to God. Uh, secondly, within the lament, there is a complaint. Um, third, there is a bold request for help or relief or deliverance. And then third, there's a affirmational statement of praise to God or trust in God. As we set the stage to uh, look more deeply at lament in the Bible, let's look at a few scriptures together just to kind of uh, prime the pump, if you will. I want to turn to first to Isaiah 53, 3 and 4, just to remind you that our Lord was a man well acquainted with grief. Verse 3 says, he, is, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like from one and like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 4 says there's a time to, uh, a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. 1 Peter 5, 7, I love this verse, and really, this is the verse that I think uh, really captures the spirit of what I want to say this morning, that God is so loving and so deeply watching over us that he says, cast all your cares, this is the Amplified, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns upon him, for he cares about you with deepest affection and watches over you very carefully. Even though we're talking about grief and sorrow this morning, my hope is that by the end of this message you won't be sad, but you will feel surrounded by the deep, deep love of God. Uh, and we'll see with fresh eyes his deep love for us. I want you to remember also that about a third of the Psalms are laments. Did you realize that? Either individual or corporate laments. And uh, we even have an entire book of the Bible 
that is one giant lament called Lamentations. And uh, it's as if God is saying, yes, this is, this is real. This is powerful. The Hebrew title for Lamentations is taken from the first word of chapters 1, 2, and 4 in that book, which start with the word how. And put into our language, it would be, how can this be happening? How can this be happening, Lord? And so that's the book of Lamentations. So let's look at some examples. Uh, first of all, oh, I missed one scripture there. Uh, John sixteen twenty. Jesus said, "Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world and the world will rejoice." This was before he went to the cross. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. And that's also a theme throughout Scripture, isn't it? Uh, you may have sorrow for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Joy is ahead of us, and we can thank God so much for that. Well, let's look at an example of a lament. This is probably the easiest example, it is Psalm 13. So let's turn there. If you'd like to follow along with me, uh, Psalm 13, and we'll see these four parts of lament. Let's read it together. How long, O Lord, wilt thou forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my own soul? having sorrow in my heart all the day. How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes so that I don't sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemy say I have overcome him, lest my adversaries rejoice when I am shaken. But I have trusted in thy loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So the, uh, in verse 1 and verse 3, we see that first part of a lament where God is, uh, excuse me, where David is addressing God. He's not talking to his own soul so much or another person. He's talking to God and uh, he's saying, how long, O Lord? And consider and answer me, O Lord. So he's addressing God. Then in verse 1 and 2, we read his complaint. How long will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? Uh, how long will I have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Can any of you relate to that? The how long complaint, the how long uh, suffering prayer. And then in verse 3 and 4, we see his bold request, the third part of lament. Uh, answer me, O Lord, my God. Enlighten my eyes. Uh, let me see, lest my enemies say I have overcome him, and they rejoice when I am shaken. And then in verse 5 and 6, David rehearses his trust in the Lord. He says, but I have trusted 
in thy loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice again in thy salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So I want you to see in this psalm the four parts of lament. And um, I guess I particularly right at this moment want to say, and I'll say it again later, that to lament, to, to actually address God and to bring our complaint to him, our grief, our sorrow, our sense of unfairness, uh, and how long will this go on, that to do this and walk through this process is an act of faith. It's, it's not a complaining it's an act of faith because you're engaging with God. You're going to wrestle with God about what has happened. Um, you know, Jesus even lamented. Can you guess where I'm going? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? To me, that Jesus on the cross, when he's uttering those words, that's a fascinating, fascinating thing. Because scholars have interpreted that in different ways. Some scholars have said Jesus was uh, not feeling or experiencing separation from the Father. He was, he was hearkening back to the first line of Psalm 22, which is a messianic psalm. That's the psalm that talks about all my bones are out of joint. They, they're bartering for my clothes and all these things that just are so accurate about what's happening at the cross. Um, so some scholars think Jesus was uh, uttering those words so his hearers would say, truly this is the Messiah. They would think of Psalm 22 as well, and he would be fulfilling prophecy. Um, other scholars say, no, he was actually... Uh, somehow, mysteriously, a way we'll never understand, the Godhead was separated from itself because of sin, because of Jesus carrying on his back the weight of our sin. It separated him from the Father, not just on a feeling level, but actually. The third idea, and that's the one I want to focus in on, because I think it's certainly true, is that he felt for the first time in his human experience, he felt that separation from God. And he was truly saying, where are you? I, I, in my mind and in my essence, I know you're there, but I can't feel you. And how can this be happening? Um, and uh, that kind of interpretation fits with Hebrews. Um, let me turn there. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, where he says, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Well, if, if Jesus had never felt that separation from God, I know you're there, but I can't feel you. Would he have been tempted in all ways like us? I think the answer is no. He, but at the same time, it brings us comfort 
I hope, to know that Jesus knows that feeling. Jesus knows that feeling of being separated from God and not able to access his presence because of our pain, but nevertheless knowing he's there and kind of cry, and crying out uh, in a lamentation to God. Job cries out to God, doesn't he? Job maybe is the, the most uh, vocal uh, complainer in a good way uh, to God. He says, why did I not die at birth? Why didn't I come from, forth from the womb and expire? Why did the knees receive me and why the breasts that I should suck? And he goes on down in the latter part of that chapter, chapter 3, saying, uh, for my groaning comes at the sight of my food. He's saying, I don't even want to eat. My cries pour out like water. For what I fear has come upon me and what I dread has befallen me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I am not at rest, but turmoil comes. Um, sometimes when we sing songs like, It is well with my soul. Uh, have you ever been in pain enough that you've said, No, it's not well with my soul. I'm sorry. Uh, and I don't know what to do. But... Uh, very, very much a human, a human reality. One thing that all the laments uh, have is this second step, which is a complaint to God. And there are basically three types of complaint. There's, why is this happening? How long will this go on? And this one's not really uh, uh, doesn't appear a lot in the Bible, but it's there by inference, and that is, where are you, God? Where are you? Um, I need you, and you're not here, or at least I can't perceive you. I've made up a list of 20 complaints from the book of Psalms, if you'd like uh, to pick those up after the service. Actually, I shouldn't say I made up that list. Uh, the author of uh, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy made up that list, but I've reprinted it for you. The author says, prayers of lament stand in the gap between pain and promise. When what we know is promised doesn't match our pain, that's where lament stands. All right, let's take a little bit of a look, a deeper look at uh, bringing a complaint to God. You know, uh, we're kind of uncomfortable with that, aren't we, philosophically, because um, we know that Philippians 2.14, for example, uh, says that uh, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Uh, so I wanted to... Uh, think about what's the difference between sinful complaining and a biblical complaint in lament. So uh, this is not part of the book. This is uh, original to me, but 
like all things in life, I will soon discover somebody has already done this and done it probably better than I have. You know, just when I think I've found a book that's really great, Bill has already read it. So, <laughs> so uh, anyway, you see there on the one column, the left-hand column, a biblical complaint again is addressed to God. It's, you, the, the complaints are specific and descriptive. Uh, there's a bold request for relief or deliverance, uh, and then trust in God is affirmed. And so to make a lament again is, a, is an act of faith. But sinful complaining is different. Sinful complaining is addressed to self or others. You spend a lot of time talking to yourself, actually more listening to yourself complain. Uh, and you complain to others. You don't really address God. There's a, more of a pattern to it. Some people even have an identity of complaining, and they seem to relish in it, don't they? Um, no relief is asked for from God, and no trust in God is affirmed. So let's unpack each one of these a little bit. Um, Addressing God again with a complaint, I am proposing to you, and I think you'll agree, is an act of faith. Here's a quote from our author. It takes faith to pray a lament. To pray in pain, even with its messy struggle and tough questions, is an act of faith where we open our hearts to God. Prayerful lament is better than silence. However, I found that many people are afraid of lament. They find it too open, too honest, too risky. But there's something for far worse, and that is silent despair. Giving God the silent treatment is the ultimate manifestation of unbelief. Despair lives under the hopeless resignation that God doesn't care. People who believe this stop praying. They give up. But turning to prayer through lament is one of the deepest and most costly demonstrations of belief in God. Isn't that freeing? Isn't that freeing that we can bring our deepest pains and complaints to God and consider it a demonstration of deep faith. A little bit more about the nature of complaints. In lament, uh, in this body of, of uh, literature that talks about lament, lament, the, the, the nature of the complaint is not so much, it's not, I knew I couldn't trust you, God. You proved to me that I couldn't trust you. I knew you'd fail me. No, that's not biblical lament or complaint. Biblical complaint is more like, what happened? This is not consistent with your promises or who I know you to be. It's like a father who promises his son that he'll take him to a ball game on Friday night. And Friday night comes around, and the father says, son, we can't go. Well, the boy has had no reason to disbelieve his father about anything up until then. 
And so he, he's, he's mad at his dad. But it's not a madness that says, I knew you would betray me. I knew this would confirm that I can't trust you. No, his, 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 his anger, his, his agony is, what happened? Why is this happening? This isn't consistent with who I know you to be, Dad. Do you sense the difference? Um, that's a complaint of lament. In our bold requests, the third part of the step, we appeal to who we know him to be. He's righteous, he's just, he's sovereign, he's all merciful. His loving kindness has been showered out on us. He's our burden bearer. We, we, we remind him that he intensely loves us. And as we do this, Pastor Vrogop says that our pain can be eclipsed by his presence. He uses this metaphor of an eclipse very powerfully, I think. He says, I say eclipsed for a reason. It captures the fact that why questions are not always answered before we move into requests. Just as one heavenly body moves into the shadow of another, during an eclipse, so too the why questions and the who questions coexist, but not equally. Who God is becomes the more prominent reality while not removing the lingering questions or pain. Why is this happening moves into the shadow of who is God. Do you find that powerful? I do. You're looking confused out there. Um, I do think that as we practice engaging God about our pains and our struggles, His presence and His character can put a balm on our pain and move us forward. And as we practice it, bring us through to the other side. And then the fourth part of the uh, lament is that we move into a praise or an affirmation of trust in God. This Christmas we had all our family, uh, we had our kids, their spouses, our 14 grandkids, and when that happens, which is every other year, we, we like to do something meaningful on Christmas Eve. We like to to do something um, spiritually meaningful. You know, it's not often that you have your whole clan together, and so you want to make it count. And so I asked the Lord, what do you want, what do you want to do this year? What, what should we do? And I felt like he led me to ask uh, three questions of everyone, and they could respond to any one of the questions. But one of the questions was, where have you seen, um, where in your life have you seen something exceedingly beautiful? That was one of the questions. And uh, to prime the pump, I answered, I, I answered my own question. And uh, what my mind immediately went to was uh, my dear Laura, uh, after her neck surgery, 
Uh, she had like 10 vertebrae fused, and I know I'll get home and she'll say, no, Jim, it wasn't 10, it was 9, or it was 11. But anyway, it was a lot. And uh, the doctors had given her as much pain medication as they could legally give her, and yet her pain uh, remained what they call out of control. And so she was in screaming agony, and there was nothing we could do about it except turn to the Lord. And I remember Hannah and myself gathering around her bed, and we were praying, and the thing of exceeding beauty to me was that Laura didn't just sit there and receive our prayers, but she began to praise the Lord and worship him, even through buckets of tears and pain. I'd never seen anyone in such pain. Um, and yet, to see her worship in the midst of that pain, to me, was sacred and beautiful. And uh, it takes faith to do something like that, and so lament uh, to, to affirm the goodness of God is a beautiful thing uh, to practice. Here are some quotes about lament and suffering. Uh, Bill really likes Michael Card. Michael Card is a singer-songwriter uh, and an author. He wrote a book called Sacred Sorrow. Um, and he said, all true songs of worship are born in the wilderness of suffering. He was reflecting on the Psalms uh, in the Bible. Our author said, to cry is human, to lament is Christian. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And John Piper, in an email to uh, Mark Drogop, said, keep trusting in the one who keeps you trusting. Very Calvinistic thing to say, uh, but very true. It's God that keeps us and keeps us standing. All right. Now I want to look at five lessons from lament, five takeaways. We're nearing the end here. Um, and the first one is this. God can handle the storm of our strongest and most painful emotions. I hope you find that freeing if you've never heard that before. Um, he's not afraid of your emotions. Um, one thing the author says is that where he draws the line for himself is he says he doesn't, he, 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 does, he thinks it's a sin to get angry at God. Well, if you're angry at God, you're angry at God and he knows it. So you might as well express it, is my view. Um, and maybe he's right, maybe I am. But, uh, I chose this image of a buffalo because I read online, and you know how true that can be, uh, but I read it in several sources, that 
buffaloes turn into the storm. One of their survival mechanisms is different than cattle. Cattle will drift along with a storm. But buffalo turn into a storm and actually often run in the direction that the storm is coming to get through it quicker. Uh, but cattle apparently drift with a storm. And so what a great metaphor of how we can choose to go into our emotions unafraid like God is unafraid and express them to him and be ministered to by him or we can choose to cut him out of the conversation and sort of push him away and then just drift with the storm. Again, our God invites us to bring those things to him, doesn't he? What, you know, what does he need our what does he need our bad stuff for? You know, our bad thoughts, our bad... And yet he invites us. Bring me your cares. Bring me your concerns. I'm your burden bearer. I love you. I care about you. The hairs on your head are numbered. What a beautiful God. A second takeaway is this. Prayers of lament can keep us from a ditch of denial on one side and the cliff of despair on the other. And give us a, give us a road, give us a highway uh, through our pain. This is not a picture of, um, some of you have been to Glacier National Forest and the highway there is called Highway to the Sun. And it, it's much like this one. And many people have died uh, in the construction of that Highway to the Sun. But again, that name, Highway to the sun can help us remember that lament can be our highway to the Son of God. Our highway through pain and grief. A third takeaway is that prayers of lament can purify our souls. How many have you had this experience where when you're really wrestling with something, when you're really grieving, when you're really in pain, the things of this world, the little pleasures, the little trinkets, the little attractions, they lose their power because you're so focused on what's real and what's true and what's powerful. Um, so the author tells this story. He challenged his people to spend some time one week mourning over, over the sin in their lives and in the world. One man took the challenge. He stopped, he stopped me in the gym to share what was happening in his life. He said, Mark, lament has given me a new ability to fight temptation. He explained that he'd spent a significant amount of time that week lamenting the brokenness in the world and all the tragic effects of sin he could remember. Much to his surprise, lament lingered with him all day. He saw temptations through a new lens. He felt the weight of sin differently. He found it easier to win the battle with wrong desires because lament unmasked the empty promises of this world. Have you had that experience before? I bet you have. Uh, when you're seeking God very intensely, the attractions of this world uh, have much less and almost no power over you. I'm thinking that 
as we approach this fast over the next three weeks, we might experience that. Some of us might experience that. Let it be, Lord. The fourth point of five is that hope springs from truth rehearsed. As we rehearse who God is, we choose to color why is this happening with the light of who he is. If Jesus, when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, was in fact remembering and reciting Psalm 22, I want you to know that Psalm 22 ends in triumph, absolute triumph. Let me turn to that and uh, read just a few lines from Psalm 22 at the end. If Jesus had been reciting that psalm and he had been able to continue to the end, he would have said, all the ends of the earth will remember this and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will worship before thee, for the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. Posterity will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generations. They shall come and will declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born that God has performed it. Tremendous triumph at the end of that psalm. So a fourth takeaway is hope springs from truth rehearsed. So as we affirm God, as we praise him, as we worship him, after our, as we close our, our lamenting prayers, again, our pain can be momentarily eclipsed by his presence. And then finally, this, God has given us the gift of lament because his love for us is so deep, so sustaining, so authentic, and beautiful. I heard a news story, I'm closing quickly. I heard a news story about, recently, about young women in America with all the Israeli-Palestinian conflict going on turning to Islam because even though they, they know, these young ladies know that if they become Muslims, they will have a very restricted, subservient, in many cases abusive life, they said, we're, we just feel like we're drifting and there's no structure in Western culture. There's nothing to hang on to. And I thought about our faith. I thought about, have we hollowed out our faith with happy songs so much? Have we an ethic that we're to be up and happy so much that people feel like there's nothing of substance to hang on to? And I thought, in the future, what, what would be attractive to young people about our faith? And you know what came to mind? Is the beauty of the Lord. Now you might say, well, that's curious. But, but I began to think about um, how beautiful our faith is. 
because God is beautiful. David prayed, Oh, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever and behold the beauty of the Lord. God doesn't compete with anyone or anything. No one or anything is his equal. He has no need of anything. He's absolutely self-contained. He's holy. He's high. He's the exalted one. No one can brook his equal. He is on his throne. He is Lord and God and King of all. And yet, he loves you. He loves me with such an intense love that he's given us a road map, if you will, of how to process our pains and our sorrows and those times where his promises don't seem to match the pain we're experiencing. He sent his son, born to humble parents in a barn. He grew up and showed us the way to the father that by simply believing in his name, submitting our wills to his, and being baptized in his name for the cleansing of our sin, Then he died at the hands of men on the cross. He sent the Holy Spirit. He ascended to the Father. I want to end with this question. What other God loves us so beautifully? Certainly not Allah. Certainly not Buddha, Zeus, Shiva, Athena. Our loving God intimately cares for us. He invites us to roll all our pains and sorrows and concerns upon him, all our confusion and fears. Who can resist such a loving and wonderful God? I know I can't. I can't resist his love. I know you can't. It's in his name that we gather and worship today. You are amazing God, and we worship you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.